everyone, my name is Carrie Witcher, and you too can be a Marketplace Multiplier because Marketplace Multipliers equip all Christians to influence their workplace and integrate their faith by making disciples and unleashing the kingdom of God wherever they are. Welcome to episode four of the Marketplace Multipliers podcast. I'm Jeff Clark, the associate head basketball coach at Indiana Wesleyan. Our feature interview today is between Dave Drury, Chief of Staff of the Wesleyan Church, and Gary Ott, CEO of TLC Management, a leading private provider of health and rehabilitation centers, assisted living and retirement centers, and hospice services. He's also a member of my local church and a man who has influenced me in many ways. Our pastor, Steve Deneff, will join later to talk about a movement in College Wesleyan Church of shepherds being commissioned to influence for Christ in every domain of society. But first, You'll hear Wayne Schmidt give insight into the long history of influence of Gary and his wife, Connie, in the local church and beyond. We're joined again by Wayne Schmidt. And Wayne, we're going to hear in this episode from Gary Ott, and I know he's a guy you've had a long-standing relationship with. Yeah, Jeff, I've been privileged to uh, witness his impact across the Wesleyan Church for just years and years, and over the past decade or so, even become uh, more closely engaged with Gary. In fact, when a group of people got back together in 2017, uh, he was part of that original group to discuss marketplace multipliers. So he's uh, he's been pretty engaged not only in the church broadly, but in the marketplace multipliers movement specifically. So what have you seen from him in terms of uh, the way he's made an impact and how he goes about in a really high capacity position being a marketplace multiplier? Yeah, he's known widely as a churchman, and that's because of his involvement in his local church, which happens to be your local church as well, and because of his involvement in our educational institutions and the general church more broadly, his generosities. There's just many ways in which he's known broadly. But sometimes someone is really a churchman or a churchwoman, and it doesn't kind of reverse direction. So what they experience with God and what they experience from their church flows back into their workplace. And Gary... Uh, really is building a culture within his companies that reflects the transforming presence of Christ and recognizes the ministry potential, not only in his local church, but in his workplace as well, the businesses he's part of. So I love that and, and may it spread, but hey, I shouldn't be the one just talking about Gary. I mean, you are in the same church with Gary and, uh, wow, we're gonna, we already heard from Trent in our initial broadcast. Amazing. He's part of that church. Gary's part of that church. You're part of that church. We're gonna hear from Pastor Steve, who is the pastor of College Wesleyan <laughs> Church. Uh, we've, we, we're gonna be blessed in that regard. But what's it like for you, Jeff, to, um, be part of a church where obviously people are being blessed and sent? I think sometimes I can take for granted that I, I serve under a pastor with the capacity of, of Steve Deneff, who does bless people to go into the marketplace and into their homes and, and really carry the gospel in, in new ways to new places. Uh, but I think back to a commissioning service that we did years ago, and we're going to hear from Pastor Steve about this in interview three. Um, but he went through a series called Sheep to Shepherd, and at the end, he commissioned people to go into the workplace uh, and make a difference for Christ to serve as shepherds. Uh, in a in a spiritual sense, and uh, in with Gary with Trent, but I see all over our church people who have were on that stage have carried it forward uh, and feel affirmed and blessed and sent by the church. Um, and and for me, I, I take it for granted. But as I hear stories of those who maybe haven't, 
and then look back on my last decade, it's, it's just remarkable the long-term impact it's had on me as I go into my marketplace to be under a pastor who affirms and blesses in this way. Yeah, I, I think pastors sometimes underestimate the joy and the significance it gives that comes with that blessing. And uh, I remember years ago talking to a general manager of a Marriott. He had 300 employees at that property. And I said to him one day, you have a congregation of 300 people that you're shepherding. And he said, oh, man, I, I just never really thought about it that way before. And just that insight and that their pastor feels that way, huge. So when I think about sheep to shepherd and blessing people to be shepherds in their marketplace, wow, what potential in that. So we're going to hear now from uh, Gary Ott being interviewed by Dave Drury. And then in, after that, we'll hear Pastor Steve come on and we'll talk a little bit more about Sounds that. Sounds great. Well, let's start in. First of all, if you wouldn't mind uh, just just explaining a little bit about yourself and uh, your work and your companies. Okay. Um, my name's Gary Ott, and uh, I'm the president of TLC Management, which is a company that manages nursing homes in uh, Indiana and Florida. Uh, right now, we have about 20 facilities that we're in the process of uh, Oh, we, we have them built, except for uh, two we're in the process of building down in Florida. <clears throat> Been doing it since 1987. And so as you've done that um, since 87, how has the work gone? What What is it? I mean, you obviously have lots of facilities. Uh, sounds like it's grown pretty fast. Uh, it It hasn't grown fast, but it's grown steady, which is I like better. Um, I uh, started out as a, the first man in the company, um, and I was uh, started out as a president and the administrator at Westland Healthcare Center, which is a nursing home in Marion, Indiana. And it was just kind of that kind of progression over the years, one by one, slowly. It was not uh, very fast, um, and. Um, it was not easy. There, there's times when uh, the only buildings we could buy are ones that were uh, the roof was caved in on on a, on a one. Another one that was completely shut down for uh, I think eight years. So it was a mess when you go into it. Those are the ones that we were able to get at those early years, and uh, we just grew, uh, kept growing it slowly, and and uh, now we have. I believe around 3,000 employees. Talk to me a little bit about your faith background. When uh, did your your faith really become awakened, and when did you start to really intentionally follow Christ? Um, well, I was grew up in the church. Uh, when I was in the sixth grade, I was baptized, uh, although it was not my idea. It was my mom's idea. College, I hitchhiked. Uh, to uh, Explo 72, which was a big Billy Graham crusade and concert in Dallas, Texas. But when I got there, um, something happened in that crusade that just ripped me apart. And I realized I was still lost. Our family started, uh, we, we started having children. I was worked at Texas Instruments for um, uh, eight years. I uh, came moved back to Indiana. And uh, uh, 
got a job as a pilot, and this is like a dream job for me. I love flying, and I got to do that for about eight months, and the company went bankrupt, and they had the airplane repossessed, and I'm out on the street. So I went through nine months of of um, no job and spiraled downward. Just It was a very, very difficult time of my life was the day I went to interview a job that I thought was an executive job because they said we provide a vehicle for you. Went with my suit, tie, briefcase to find out the job was the carpet cleaning and the vehicle was the truck to clean carpets with. So I walked out of there so down and I decided to go downtown Marion and look for a job. I was gonna, my, my plan was to drive around the downtown courthouse and keep driving until one of two things happened. I either find a job or run out of gas. So I went down and I started driving around the courthouse one time, two times, kept driving around. Finally, I surrendered. I said, God, I just job off anything. I'll even work in a nursing home. And as soon as I said that, this burden that's been on me for about nine months, I couldn't eat, sleep at night, lifted off of me. So that was my first ex- experience where I hit the wall, didn't know how I was going to get through it. And I met God and I surrendered to him. And um, his plan was better than my plan. Okay. That was the first time. The second time was uh, in, uh, I think it was two, uh, 2006. I uh, was skiing and uh, out in Colorado, it was a great year for me. Uh, everything was going good. I was on top of the mountain. I uh, literally, my business had done the best financial um, return I've ever had in the history of my company that year. And my daughter just got married to a wonderful Christian man. And I, while I was skiing, I, I went in the air and landed right on my ski pole, right in my side. And I thought I broke a bunch of ribs. And in that process, uh, they go, we don't see broken ribs and we're going to do it. Um, uh, a CAT scan. So we did a CAT scan that came back and says, we got to do emergency surgery. Uh, you got a massive fluid down in your abdomen area. We opened you up. We found a tumor. You got cancer and it's all over your, it's all over your body, all over your abdomen area. And I went from the top of the mountain to the bottomless pit in that moment. I didn't understand why this is happening to me. I, I I didn't want to see anybody. I thought I had to be strong. I had to be the. I didn't want my kids to see me like this. Through that process of bringing God bringing me to my knees, I realized that I was not in control of anything. Even though I had all the success with business, I was not in control of anything. But people stepped up and came to my side and prayed for me when I told my wife, I remember the one day that was so bad, had nothing going good for me. I told my wife, Connie, I 
signed the living will, let me die. This is not worth living. And she kept saying, this is just temporary, Gary. You're going to, you know, and I had people come and pray for me. And God touched me and he healed me. Praise God. And I've been telling that story ever since. I tried to live up to that faithfully. Uh, wow. Probably not always, but that's what I tried to do. Uh, I'll tell you what thing. my tell you what my job is and, and, and what my vocation is. Uh, um, my my work, which is what I think is God ordained. What what am I supposed to be doing on this planet? Why am I still here? I'm not supposed to be here. I think I'm here to take care of other people's parents as if they were my parents. That's why I'm here. And that's what I try to do every day with these people that were entrusted. We probably have 3,000 of these people that we take care of every day. Not easy, very difficult situations. I've walked a bunch of held their hands, right, when they walked into eternity. So that's my work. My job as CEO, president of the company, is I believe it's, it's my job to create a culture in our company that everybody treats the people they're working with as if it's their parents. That's the culture I'm trying to, to set. It doesn't matter if you're a CNA, a nurse, a janitor. I want them to ask the question, if that was my mom, what would I do? And that's, that's what we've been doing for the last 33 years. God has blessed us. So um, obviously, you, I mean, you grew, up, you grew up around the church. You, even though it didn't really become your own until you were, a, you know, a young adult, uh, but you knew church life, you knew what ministers were. Did you ever yeah. get to a point where you saw them as ministers and didn't see yourself and honor what you're doing? And did you ever have a point where you started to see your calling as the marketplace? When did that start to develop in your mind? Yes. Yes. And you're right. I always perceive that the the uh, pastors and ministers and missionaries were the ones that uh, were responsible for that and um, uh, but through uh, mentoring uh, through I think uh, John Maxwell and, and Larry Maxwell which had a big impact on my life those two guys and Steve Deneff um, I started seeing what a marketplace leader could do that it needs to be this relationship between a market leader and a ministry leader that will make the biggest impact for the kingdom of God this relationship that can be the ministry leader now the ministry leader is the head and he's he's the one that we market leaders need to follow but the ministry leader needs the resources that the market leader can bring to the church. And so the two combination of the two is very powerful. We need the, the, the ministry leadership from our pastor to give us the direction. Now, one of the issues that many ministers have is, is that they uh, worry that the market leader will take over. And market leaders are type A guys like me, and we do take over. But we take over when there's a void. If we're giving a, a, a mission 
and we're giving a direction by our ministry leader, we'll follow it to the end. We will follow. I'll follow Steve to Neff wherever he sends me. Uh, but if there's a void and there's no leadership, yes, I will say that uh, market leaders will take over because they 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 can't operate without leadership. They they've got to have some kind of leadership. Uh, so tell me of a time when you've been able to integrate your faith in your work uh, in a way that you feel like that was meaningful. I feel like that really helped me do what I do as a businessman, a successful businessman and owner and CEO, but in a way that your faith changed the way you do it. We have not um, overly hit people over the head that that we are Christians. I've always said we are not a Christian company. We're a, a secular company run by Christians. So that's kind of the starting point. But we have um, started to have chaplains. We started a while back having chaplains in all of our nursing homes for the residents. And uh, we've had that for many years and uh, because it's a real need. And then I all of a sudden realized we need a chaplain for our workers, our employees. And so we've gone out and got a second chaplain that all he does is he ministers to our employees. And we have uh, morning, uh, Monday morning meetings uh, in, in most of our places, and we have the chaplain come in and do a devotions, and then we have prayer. When somebody does come to Christ or they begin to have an awakened faith, or maybe they're just kind of becoming more serious about their faith. Are there any steps you've taken to disciple people or to help them grow in their faith or, or read the Bible with you? Have you been able to ever make a step like that? Well, what I've, I've found that, that um, if you're going to disciple somebody, they have to seek you out. You don't seek them out. Um, whenever I've tried to seek out people and, and kind of try to disciple them and, it never has worked real well. They kind of do it because I'm their boss or something. But the ones that really take off and do well are the ones that come to me and say, hey, I'd like to spend a little time with you and, and talk about things. And that has turned into a, a mentoring ship of my part with them. Many hours of, of uh, just doing other things, but at the same time, I'm trying to direct their life of uh, the direction they should go. And so that seems to work the best for me is when, um, and I, I hope that God just orchestrates those and, and sends these people to me. Um, and that seems to work better. Um, although I tried to ask in the morning and devotions, God, uh, open my eyes to people that I should be dealing with today. I don't want to walk right by them and miss them when I'm supposed to be doing something. We're joined now by my pastor, Steve Deneff. And pastor, I want to go back to a day that uh, I remember so vividly. You were taking us through a series called Sheep to Shepherd, and it finished with a commissioning service and I remember the stage just being flooded by people who wanted to make this shift from being a sheep to being a shepherd, and then how that carried forward into, into new ways and new places. What do you remember about that time? 
I think that was five or six years ago. Uh, I think God was taking our church through a turning point, and I wasn't fully ready for all that would be involved in that. Uh, I remember learning that uh, what people need today are not just leaders, but shepherds. That's what they're looking for. They don't have the word for it, so they call it a leader. But not every leader is a shepherd, but every shepherd is a leader. So we were calling people to rise out of just leadership into shepherding or pastoring the people around them. Find three to 12 people who are already around you uh, that God has called you to know them, feed them, lead them, and protect them. On the final Sunday of that series, we called people onto the platform to be commissioned as shepherds in their domains if God had called them. 388 people stood up from the congregation, came onto the platform. We had formal words um, of commissioning that were read over them. We prayed over them, commissioned them, and then released them into the marketplace in various domains. I'm getting goosebumps just remember, because I remember so clearly how formative that series was for me and being commissioned. And I'm sure we could tell many stories of different individuals, how they took it forward into their domain. But I want to I lock in on Gary, as we just heard his interview and, and some of his story. As his pastor for years, how have you seen him evolve and grow and then take that to the marketplace? You know, about 15 years ago, Gary was in a crisis. He had an accident. He was in a hospital in Washington, D.C. for a special surgery. I flew there to be with him for that, and that started a bond. As he came out of that, it literally saved his life. He nearly died. Um, As he came out of that, he started to ask the question, why did God keep me alive? Why do most people who have what I had die and I did not? Everyone asks that when they survive something they shouldn't have. And that lasted for two or three years. But then as Gary went back to work, he started to find a new calling in his work. And that calling was to take the place where he worked, which was TLC. They own about, I want to say, I don't know, I'm going to guess 20, 25 different um, retirement places around the country. And he found a way to take those places and make them uh, disciple-making um, communities. That became his calling. So I saw Gary become a pastor to people that have never been in church in a long time. I was speaking once at a group of um, leaders that Gary called together. There's about 300 of them there. They're like CEOs over all these jobs that he's got across the country. And I'm partway through the speech about culture and talking about how we can shepherd people, Gary stands up in the middle of my speech and he interrupts it. And he turns around and looks at the audience and he goes, "Uh, would you mind if I just say a little something here? I said, it's your rodeo, say what you want. He turns and says, everything that we're hearing right now is true. This is what God has called us to be. You're not leaders, you're shepherds. So I want you to find people who work for you, who need help. And I'm going to carve out a a sum of money as a scholarship that we can use to help those people. It was 
It was shocking. People who worked for him, vice presidents, were scurrying, writing notes. They had no, We had no idea he was going to do this. But he took an idea and turned it into an actual practical plan. Anyone who knows Gary is not surprised at all that Gary had an idea and made it come to life very quickly. <laughs> <In> second. <laughs> but let me take that to the taxonomy because the taxonomy has been something that you've used as you've led in this area and it, it ties in with Gary. And it's it's these levels that Christians go through as, as they progress. Can you talk listeners through the taxonomy? Yeah, we found here that there's there seems to be a point in a person's spiritual growth where they stop growing. And it's often because they don't know what comes next. This is true for pastors, too. We just keep recycling the same lessons because we don't know what's beyond that. So what we found is that the spiritual journey really has like five different stages. Most people are stuck in stage one. We call it believing. When a person believes in Christ, they simply take advantage of every opportunity that the church provides to grow. They go at services, do mission trips, That's it. The second stage, though, we call pursuing. And when a person moves from just believing in Christ, attending services, and taking advantage of small groups, to pursuing, now they start creating their own opportunities. So the movement from stage one to stage two occurs when a person takes responsibility for their own spiritual life. In the third stage, reproducing, they take responsibility for somebody else's spiritual life. Now they start to shepherd. They think of three to 12 people around them. They work with every day and they know them intimately and they start developing uh, a plan or a method for discipling that person. In stage four, they take responsibility now for a whole community, or for a workplace. Stage three, reproducing, they're taking responsibility for individuals. In stage four, leading, they're taking responsibility for an office, or for a team, or for a church, or a neighborhood. And finally, in stage five, that we call becoming, uh, they move into this... um, this category of like a like a sage, um, it they're known more for uh, who they are uh, than what they do, and the younger people just look to them as a standard of Christ. So these become five stages, and what we've discovered is that most programming in churches is really designed for stage one or two. We don't really have a lot that we've built yet for stages three, four, and five. And we'll be linking that sermon to the show notes. So if anyone wants to listen in, they'll be able to. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Marketplace Multipliers podcast. For more information, go to marketplacemultipliers.com and be on the lookout for an upcoming book in February by David Drury featuring Marketplace Multipliers. Please like and subscribe to this podcast and join us in two weeks for our next episode.